the Bible reading this morning comes from 2 Kings 2, verses 1 to 18. Reading from the NIV, and mine is titled, Elijah Taken Up to Heaven. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha, Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elijah replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elijah had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up and struck the waters with it. The water divided to the right and to the left and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father. The chariots and horsemen of Israel and Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of the garment and tore it in two. Elisha pick up, uh, picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took a cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. They went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we your servants have fifty able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he, was too, until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying at Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go?
Have you been enjoying the, uh, the journey through Elijah's life? Sort of, um, it's, it's one of my favourite uh, characters of the Bible, and um, I think as we've gone through the stories, you can start to understand why. There's a lot going on, um, and there's a lot in it. We're going we're gonna to finish our, our series on Elijah today. There's a couple of stories we've missed, and I'll skim through a, a little bit of that. Uh, but uh, as we come to Missions Month next week... Uh, we're going to have a, a change of direction, a change of focus. So this is our last journey through Elijah, but don't, don't sort of park Elijah. Uh, take what we've learned and integrate it into your life. Read through uh, one, 1 and 2 Kings again so you might grab a little bit more out of what we've learned. Along the way in Elijah's story, we've heard how in James, he says, Elijah was a human just as we are. David brought that home to us last week, didn't he? He really nailed it last week. And we looked at the, the frailty of Elijah. He ran, didn't he? He ran away in fear, regardless of the battle that he had on the mountain of um, uh, Mount Carmel. He had this amazing battle against 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah, yet in fear of one lady, he ran. And David's brought us back to the reality that that we are human, even as Jesus was human. There are highs and lows in life, and that's okay. Most of us at some stage would have reached up to the real heights, the near tens, out of ten, not out of hundred, the near tens. And many of you have felt the ones and twos, or maybe even the, the zeros of the lows. And this week we've been hit pretty head on with with the pretty low with Solari's mum's passing. And we knew it was coming, but our humanness still feels those lows, don't they? Elijah went through that process of the tens and the zeros, the highs and the lows, because Elijah was a human being just like us. And through our series, we started with a man that seemingly came out of nowhere, came from Tishba. Can everyone remember Tishba? Way back where we started? Of course you don't, because no one remembers Tishba. No one even knows where Tishba really was. Uh, that's where Elijah was from. This unknown man from an unknown place and stood up to the most powerful man in the land, Ahab, the king, who was really under the control of the most powerful woman in the land, Jezebel. And Elijah stands up for his spiritual heritage, his spiritual roots, and says, your God, the one that controls the land, well, we'll get him to control it. While the, the gods that you are looking at, these Baal and Asherah gods, they're going to do nothing. So it's not going to rain until I say so, because that's what God has said. It's pretty bold, really. In fact, a good way to get your king offside, really, isn't it? But that's what he did. And so Elijah had the highs and the, I'm going to go do it. Then he, then he ran. He went, uh-oh, I've just done something that could get me in a bit of trouble. So he ran and he ran to this place called, you know, remember what it's called? It starts with the ch, 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 Cherith, Cherith. And that's where he lived for maybe three years, hidden, surviving on water and from um, water from the brook and the food that the ravens had brought to him. What a lesson in faith watching the brook slowly dry up because there was no rain 
yet faithfully staying because God said, you need to stay here. You need to learn. And then God says, go, and he goes to a place called Zarephath. And he took his learnings and he went at Cherith and he went to Zarephath, a place where uh, what he learnt of faith he put into practice. He found a widow uh, who he said, bring me some food. And the lady said, well, I've got one last meal and then my son and I are going to die, so you want that? And he said, bring it to me, your food will not run out. And then when her son did die a bit later, she went, what's the deal there? And he went up and he laid on the boy three times and brings him back to life. The first resurrection noted in scripture. What a great training ground Elijah had had. And that led into his confrontation with King Ahab, who was now getting a little worried that the drought was getting too much, that it was getting to that stage of, of it's, it's going to be a lot of trouble for us. So there's this, this battle on Mount Carmel, a prophet off. The prophets of Baal versus 850 of them versus Elijah, 850 verses 1. And Elijah taunts them. He pokes fun of them. What's going on? Is your God on the toilet? (laughs) And he was totally confident because he'd been trained that God is faithful. And he was totally confident that God had this under control. Because this ordinary man from an ordinary town went through a a process of rigorous, rigorous spiritual training that helped him stand firm when uh, the pressure was on. But then we heard last week that Elijah, a man just like us, started running. He was human. He had fear. He got tired. He got drained emotionally. I think we can relate to that. And he went from the tens to the twos in a flash, and he raced uh, away, he ran away, and then he just... He conked out. Did you know conked's actually a word? It's not just a slang word. It's in the dictionary, conked. I didn't know that. I had to look that up. (laughs) He conked out. How did he start again? Well, he was once again, he was sustained by God. He was fed by God. He was encouraged by God on the mountain. And it's a beautiful story and one in which we can place ourselves in, in many parts, that story that we heard last week. And we're going to conclude this week our time with Elijah by jumping over a few of the stories in between that Mount Carmel story and the running story. And we're going to finish off with Elijah passing on his mantle to Elisha. There are a few stories. Um, in 1 Kings chapter 19, you can read about Naboth's vineyard where Elijah, wants to stand, once again, after being sustained again from God, stands up for what is right and condemns Ahab to death. Read about it in 1 Kings 19. Then there's two kings that jumps a little bit after that. Um, the rest of 1 Kings is about all the different new kings. But in 2 Kings chapter 1, we find Elijah again. And this, uh, basically, he's giving this new king uh, a death sentence as well because he's just not going along the way the Lord was saying. And this new king, it's a great story. A new king brings uh, 50, 50 men and chariots to, to Elijah and says, you've got to come with me. And Elijah says, well, nah. Uh, and God just smites them on the spot, and it happens a couple of times until finally one says, we know that you are the prophet of God. Can you please come with us? Great stories. Um, read through them. Understand them. Get to know them. But in essence, what we see in that whole time is that as Elijah went further into ministry, as he'd come from his training ground, as he's had his big hilltop moments, he was then sent into ministry and, and mission in essence. 
And it became his nature to call out those who were leading the people of God, the Israelites, away from their God. And it never ended well for those people. And in each encounter, Elijah, a human who is just like us, grew in more confidence and stature, faithfully standing up for what was right in the eyes of God. And even in today's reading that we've just heard, we see Elijah being carted up into heaven on a chariot of fires, a fire with horses of fire and a whirlwind. Imagine seeing that sight. But the part of the story I want to focus on, not, not so much the, 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 the going up to heaven part, I want to focus on uh, another little part. Um, I want to focus on the relationship that, that Elijah had with Elisha and that final day's journey. That's the part I want to focus on today. For, because on that final day, Elijah went to four different places. All these places had a significance. So I wonder if we can gain some helpful insights as to why Elijah, on that last day, would visit four different places rather than just going to his final resting, well, final place where he went up to heaven. So let's pray and we'll look at these four places, this last part of Elijah's story. Our God, we uh, pray that this morning, that through these places that we are going to encounter, that you help us to understand the reasons why Elijah might have gone there. Help us that it might not just be a great story, a story that could easily be put into movie form, but God, may it be a story that touches our hearts and transforms our mind and our lives. And God, may we be open to your leading of your spirit in and through the word that we hear. Amen. On our reading tells us that Elijah visited Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, and then ended up at the Jordan River. And if we look at a, a map of these places, of where they might be today, maybe they're slightly different, but around the sort of region, um, the quickest route, uh, if we have that map up, the quickest route, Gilgal is up the top, um, and unnamed road, I don't know if you can see unnamed road on the sort of, your right, um, that was just my way of figuring out, Gilgal to unnamed road was very, very short, it would be about four hours on Google Maps if he had his Google out, uh, four hours to walk from Gilgal to unnamed road, about 20 kilometres, yet um, <laughs> 20 kilometres, four hours, Maybe he could have gone for a walk, had a stop somewhere, got some scones and cream with uh, Elisha. This is our last day. Take our time. Let's enjoy the space. Uh, Let's let's do that. Yet he uh, doesn't do that. He goes for a 21-hour and 57-minute, 101-kilometer walk. Might be slightly different back then. Places might be different, but those places are sort of sort of vaguely where people are assuming these places were. Uh, It was a big journey. It wasn't a small trip. It was a big journey, wasn't it? It was a totally different journey. And why did Elijah take Elisha on this massive trip for their last day, or probably days? I mean, it's 21 hours worth of walking. That's a a decent day of walking. Um, So there's different reasons. There's a couple of different reasons I want to bring forward as to why uh, we might have this long journey rather than just a nice short journey. The first one is that this was a steep learning curve for Elisha. It was a steep learning curve to teach Elisha um, all about various things. We read in verse 1 of uh, 2 Kings chapter 2 that the Lord was about to take Elijah up into a whirlwind. And in the sense of that this was this last, the last day, 
Elijah tells Elisha in verse 2, Stay here. I'm going to go to Bethel. Now, Bethel was a decent journey. We could see on the map before it was a decent journey. And on this last day, Elijah, it sort of sounds like Elijah doesn't really want Elisha to come, doesn't it? You you stay here because I've been told I've got to go over there. They've been together for a while, but as we read this text, I get the feeling that Elijah, Elijah was testing Elisha. You see, he asks the same question, and each time he goes to a new place, he asks that exact same question. Elisha, you stay here, because I've got to go somewhere else. Or in essence, the question that he's asking is, do you really want to come with me? Do you really want to take this journey with me? Three times Elijah Elijah prompted his protege to stay, and three times Elisha said, no way, I'm coming with you. I'm not going anywhere else but with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm sure there would have been temptations to sort of stay. Hey, there's some good things happening in in Bethel. There's some good things happening in Jericho. You stay here. You can probably be used really well here because I'm going to go and and, and in the end, I'm not going to be with you. But Elisha says, no way. I'm coming with you. I will not leave leave you. It sounds a little bit like a time of testing. It reminds me of Jesus talking to Peter. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Three times Jesus was testing him. And it set Peter off to start a movement, the church. And I get the feeling that Elijah is hoping that Elisha will get a sense of understanding of the importance of the decision he is making to go with him. That it just isn't a light thing. Oh no, it'll just be easier if I carry your bags and go along. But, but actually you're learning something every time you come along. And at the end of this journey, although there have been points where you could have opted out, you'll receive the mantle of profit that I'll be passing on to you. I feel it speaks heavily into the importance of having people in your life who are going to spur you on to deeper faith and obedience in your walk with Jesus. I wonder if there's anyone in your life now who's going to ask you the questions when faith is a little tricky. Like David said last week, it's okay to be human. We can be human. We can have ups and downs. We can have the highs and lows. But I wonder whether you have someone in your life that can not only encourage you when you're feeling down, but also someone who can push you when faith is tricky. Are you going to still come on this faith journey? Or are you just going to stay here? Do you really want to stay in the place where you are? Or do you want to come along on this journey of faith? Maybe you are that friend to someone. Or you can see someone who needs that friend. And you can ask them, why are you staying in the same place in your faith? Why aren't you moving in your journey with Christ? Come along this journey with me. Let's read the scriptures together. Let's pray together. Let's go on a journey of of seeking to be missional together. And maybe you feel that you can do that for someone else. Maybe you can find someone who you can feed into to disciple, to mentor, to mentor 
and to help pass your mantle on to. It's been really lovely. Um, we've asked uh, Jordan Haywood to uh, mentor our Tarquin, just to, just to get alongside him. And he came and picked Tarquin up and they went out and had a milkshake together and Tarquin came back and just was raving about the fact that uh, Jordan would take time out of his time to be with him. It makes a difference. It makes a massive difference. Do you, would it be easier if I used the microphone? No, you're right. Elijah passed on that mantle, though, didn't he? Because in the end, when Elijah asked Elisha, well, what do you want? You've followed me all these spaces. Now, what do you want? And Elisha, who had stuck through it, who had not succumbed to that pressure of going, should I stay? Maybe he doesn't really want me to come. He says, I want a double portion of what you had, a double portion of your spirit. Now, that's a bold ask, isn't it? That is a big ask. And Elijah, he's the one who called down fire from heaven. Elijah raised a young boy from the dead. It's a bold ask. I want double of your spirit. And Elijah's immediate response is not, no way, Elijah, that's just too hard. That's just too much. Maybe just ask for something a little smaller, something a little more able for me to to give you. Because that's a really big one. It's funny. Jeanette, um, Alice, Slatter, and I, we went, um, and Solari, went to a leadership conference last week with a guy called Craig Rochelle. Uh, amazing uh, uh, leadership input. It was very good. Um, and he shared some insights into leadership. But one of the things he talked about were something he called a BHAG. BHAG. And it stands for Big, Hairy, Audacious Goal. And And these were goals that were real visionary and almost seemingly unrealistic, yet somehow really compelling, that people would be drawn to trying to to get towards. And many companies use this idea, which was originated with a leadership consultant called Jim Collins, who has written a lot of uh, leadership and management books. And some massive companies set these BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. Microsoft, he, they set one. And Bill Gates, he dreamed about putting a personal computer on every desk in every house. That's a big vision. And that's not like he didn't dream that yesterday because it's nearly there. He dreamed that 20 years ago. It's a big vision. And it's nearly been realised, hasn't it? And Google, you know, Google the search engine, its BHAG is organise the world's information. Have we got up there? Organise the world's information. Not just sort of organise a country's information or organise a state's information. It's organise... It's a big goal. It's a big ask. A big, hairy, audacious goal. Facebook is connect the world. Not connect America or connect Australia. It's connect the world. And it's sort of doing that, isn't it? I like Nike's one. Nike's BHAG. Crush Adidas. <laughs> funny is that? Crush Adidas. Fair enough. That's what they want to do. They want to, be, they want to be the top of the top. So they've got a competitor. They want to be a top. That's their BHAG. I reckon Elisha had a BHAG. <laughs> I want twice of what you had. Twice of your spirit. Not in any sort of arrogant way, because I want to do the fire thing a couple of times. I want to raise a couple more people from the dead. Not in that sort of way. But I want to be as impactful as Elijah. Not just as impactful, but I want to be 
twice as impactful for the kingdom of God. See, we need a time to set the the uncomfortable longer-term goals for ourselves, don't we? That we might be pushed to achieve them. That we might move out of our comfort zone just that little bit in our walk with God. Well, not even a little bit. Sometimes it's a lot. Even for the church, we need to set some big, hairy, audacious goals that we can work towards. That we can say, as a church, we strive to whatever that might be. I wonder if you have any BHAGs in your own life, big, hairy, audacious goals that you might want to ask of God. Because I sometimes feel that as Christian people, we get afraid to ask the big things of God because we make the assumption, well, God won't grant that. But that's not what Elisha did, and that's not what Elijah did. Elijah didn't say, no, that's too big. Rather, sometimes I think our asking becomes a little bit like a Christmas list. I know not to ask Solari for an 80-inch television with surround sound speakers and the latest setup because I know we're not going to get that. And I know it's probably not going to fit in our house. (laughs) It'll look ridiculous, to be honest. (laughs) And we're we're not in a financially viable spot to do that. So we just don't ask for the bigger thing on our Christmas list. Well, I don't, anyway. Maybe you do. (laughs) We just can't reach those sort of things. But with God, when you have something that just won't leave you, that clings onto you, when you have an idea that just won't go away, that you go, God, why are you nagging me on this idea? When you have a big, hairy, audacious goal for God's kingdom, ask him. Get in there and ask. Because Elisha did it. And Elijah didn't just laugh at him and go, <laughs> don't be ridiculous. Elijah didn't say yes, though. That's really important. Elijah didn't say yes. What did Elijah say? Elijah said, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted. That's in verse 10. So what do you think Elijah did, Elisha did for the rest of the day? He just kept his eyes on Elijah everywhere he went. He's like, I'm not taking my eyes off you. Because I need to see what happens. Because I want to see my big, hairy, audacious goal come to fruition. He certainly didn't take his eyes off Elijah. And when Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind, in the the fire chariot and the fire um, horses, there was an initial amazement and awe, which obviously there would be. And then in verse 12 it says, He grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. There was a grief, a despair, a pain at the loss of his friend, his teacher and his mentor. But if you move on to verse 13, he picks up the the cloak, the mantle of Elijah. And his first thing he did, smacked it on the waters of the Jordan and crossed through on dry land. Elisha learnt a lot from that last day. Elisha learnt a lot about what it meant for his future. So for the first reason, for the the deviation, for not going the quickest route, is because he he learnt so much. Elijah used it to teach and test Elisha. But the second reason is because Elijah takes him through places that we all need to go. And that'll make sense in a minute. Because lying within the names of all the places that Elijah goes, um, uh, uh, there's a lot of, of... Uh, information in there. 
Each week we've had a, 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 a topic, we've come across a place, haven't we? And we've said, there's something in the name of that place. There's a meaning within the name of the place. And today's no different. So we're going to go through these four places um, reasonably quickly. First, they started at Gilgal. Gilgal was a place of beginning, not just for uh, this last day. But in, Joshua's, uh, in Joshua chapter 4, Gilgal was where the Israelites camped just after they crossed the Jordan into Canaan. It was a safe place for them. It was a haven for them. The place where they camped, and it was a place where they set up the... the do you remember they, they grabbed 12 stones out of, the, out of the river, and they set up these 12 stones, and they set them up at Gilgal. It was a new beginning for the Israelite nation after going into the Promised Land. Joshua 5 verse 9 says, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. They're not coming anymore. And it says um, in the rest of Joshua 5 9, the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal literally means to roll away, to roll away. And this is the, the day the Lord rolled away the threat of Egypt. It's a new day, it's a new beginning, it's a safe day, a fresh start. And this is where Elijah and Elisha set up from. This new beginning, this last journey, the beginning of something new. I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 5.17, where we're reminded of the new beginnings we're given through Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. It's a new day. It's a new beginning. Next week in the evening, we're going to have some baptisms. Some of our young people are being baptised. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm excited by it. Some of our young people are taking a step of faith towards God's greater plan for them. And they're ready to say yes to Jesus and obediently be baptised. And that's exciting. I remember my baptism. I was still quite young. I felt I was really young in faith. But I remember thinking, this is a, a new beginning I'd come to know Jesus, but this is a, a new beginning. It's a new day for me. It was a key moment in my faith that I look back to when I go through the troughs and the hard faith moments. I wonder if you have a space where you go back to. I wonder if you have a, a Gilgal where, where when faith is struggling, you can walk back to those beginning times. Where you started, remember, remember what God was doing in those spaces. I'm having, after, after we talk about a youth pastor and, and have the vote for that and while morning tea's on, I'm going to have a, a little bit of time in the, in the meeting room with some of the uh, baptism candidates that are here. Um, if anyone else wants to come and hear about baptism or is interested just in learning a little bit about it, please come as well. You're more than welcome to. We'd love to have more baptisms. So Elijah and Elisha start at Gilgal, and Elijah asks if Elisha wants to stay there. Do you want to stay at your beginnings? Do you want to stay at Gilgal? I wonder if you're still at Gilgal. I wonder if you stayed at Gilgal too long. You know, I used to use the excuse for a long time at church where I was, where I was going, I can't get involved in anything there. I'm still a young Christian. I'm not really good enough in my faith to do anything at the church or to stand up and do anything on stage or to go on mission. I'm not really 
knowledgeable enough to do that. I'm still at Gilgal. And I wasn't, for years, I wasn't really that keen to move out of Gilgal. But it was an excuse. And Elisha says, I'm not going to stay at Gilgal. I'm going to work on. And I fear that too many Christians sometimes just stay at Gilgal. They never grow towards maturity of faith. They have an experience of God. And then they go, that was fantastic. I want to know Jesus. But then they never move forward. And they get stuck in Gilgal. It's important to have your Gilgal. Sounds like a funny word now, Gilgal. It's important to have your Gilgal. But you need to move past it as well. That's what Elisha did. Elisha says, I'm not willing to stay here. I'm going to keep moving. And they went to Bethel. Now, Bethel was the place of prayer and transformation. The name Bethel means house of God. And it was where Abraham built an altar after he often, and where he often went to to meet God. When Abraham was wrestling, he'd come to Bethel. He'd go to Bethel for times of dedication and preparation. It was a place of prayer where God transformed Abraham. And I wonder if you're in a Bethel space at the moment, a place where you're being transformed. We're reminded in Romans chapter 12 that be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God desires for us to be continually transformed towards his likeness. Now, a good question to ask yourself in this, am I being transformed, is this. If I compare my walk with the Lord that, uh, from, from a year ago to where I am now, have I, does it look any different? Does my walk with God from a year ago look anything different to what my walk with the Lord is right now? Or take, go back five years and now? Or what would I like my walk to look like with God in five years' time? Bethel was a place of transformation, a place where they can move forward. But still, you can't stay at Bethel, can you? You've got to keep moving forward, and to keep moving forward, you don't stand still. So Elisha said, no, I'm not going to stay here either, Elijah. I'm going to move with you. And they move on to Jericho. And Jericho was a place of battle. It's a, first, uh, it's a place where battle happened when the Israelites, the first battle that happened when the Israelites came into the promised land. It was a place where God told the Israelite nation to walk around their walls seven times and then on the seventh time blow your trumpets and shout really loud. And although that was somewhat orthodox in battle mythology, I suppose, um, the people obeyed. They walked around the walls and on the seventh time they blew their trumpets and they shouted and the walls came tumbling down. Jericho was a place of battle. But the battle was not necessarily about the fight. It was a battle of obedience to God, wasn't it? It was a battle of whether the Israelites would faithfully obey God or do what they'd always do and just charge in and try and defeat. I wonder if Elijah and Elisha, uh, Elijah takes Elisha here because he wants to teach Elisha a lesson about faithful obedience. Elijah, on his journey, as we've seen through the whole time, he's had to wrestle with exactly that, faithful obedience. I've got to wait for ravens to feed me every day. Are they going to come back tomorrow? Or are they going to get done in by this drought? I'm going to ask, God, you're asking me to ask a widow who's on their last scraps of food to give me a meal? You really want me to do that, God? Faithfully, I'm going to obey. 
You want me to raise this young boy from the dead? Faithfully, I'm going to obey. He had those moments. He had those times. Even when the leading of God looked like it was leading to somewhere that was going to be just hopeless almost. And we understand the battle of Mount Carmel, that the learned obedience to God defeated the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And I wonder how often we find ourselves back in Jericho, where life's battles test us, and we find ourselves asking, how are we going to overcome the battle ahead of us? I wonder if at this time we find ourselves walking around the walls of Jericho, or we find ourselves retreating back to Bethel, awaiting more times of transformation. Because the reality is that our beginnings at Gilgal lead us towards the transformation at Bethel, which prepare us for the battles that life just throw at us at Jericho. Now, the final place they visited, where eventually Elijah departs this earth, was at the River Jordan. The Jordan was a place where Elijah finished and passed the mantle on to Elisha. It was also the place that separated the Israelites from the place, the, the, the promised land, the place where God had told them they would be. I wonder how many times in the desert of wandering, they're wandering out in the desert, waiting for a whole generation to die out. I wonder how many times they stood on the banks of the Jordan and thought about the promised land, looking longingly at the other side, going, I wish that guy had just died because we want to get over there. It was a place of death, not just a place of physical death for those who were not going to enter into the promised land because of the disobedience and lack of faith. But it was a space of spiritual death and resurrection. Because first it stopped them from getting into the place God wanted them to be. Yet as the waters parted, it released them to go through the waters and to be a new people in a new land. And for Elijah, this wasn't going to be a place of death, but rather a place of new life, a place of being with his creator as he was taken up into heaven in the whirlwind. And for those of us who have faith in Jesus, the new life that Jesus brings, we no longer fear death. Rather, we live as people of the resurrection. We confidently trust that our time on earth will lead us towards an ongoing communion with our Lord. It's the promise of the resurrected Jesus, and it's a promise for each and every person who accepts Jesus as their Lord. The Jordan was the end for Elijah, but it was also a new beginning. And as for Elisha, a long walk. And he said, yes, I'm going to keep going. And he took Elijah's coat, his mantle, he crashed it on the banks of the water, and he parted walking through dry land. He was ready. He didn't take his eyes off Elijah. He saw Elijah go up to heaven, and the double portion of Elijah's spirit lie on him. He'd been to Gilgal. He was reminded of his beginnings. He travelled to Bethel, where he saw transformation and prayer. He'd been in the battles at Jericho and he'd seen death and new life at the River Jordan. He was ready to tackle what was going to be ahead of him. And I wonder, of those four places, where you are today, 
I wonder if you're willing to answer Elijah's statement in the way Elisha did. Elijah said, stay here. I've got to go somewhere else. And Elisha's answer was, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. I wonder as you transition from place to place whether you can keep your eyes on God and say that to your Lord. Elisha went on. My question to you is, will you go on as well? Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for your word, your word that brings meaning and life to us. A living word that helps us to continually transform into your likeness. And God, this morning, help us to understand where we may be at in our faith journey. And God, as we move from one place to the next, may we continue to strive to be more like you, to be transformed into your likeness, remembering our beginnings, ready for the battles ahead. We thank you, Lord, for your giving of your son, Jesus, his death and resurrection that gives us life. May we live in that. Thanks, Lord. Amen.